unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic. And for the listeners that that don't get the benefit of the private show notes that you send me, every once in a while, you add an image to the show notes to to really drive it home. And uh, today's was extra comical. It's a picture of a woman named Megan who works at Target. (laughs) And very soon, we're going to figure out why that matters. Yes. Uh, Should we just jump in? Let's just jump into it. All right, here we go. So the online marketing world has gone crazy with targeting. It's great for all the media buyers and traffic managers who buy targeted traffic since they can get paid work out of it. They can get a lot of money out of it. Uh, Targeting, like Chicken Man in radio in the days of yore. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. But what good does all this targeting do us copywriters and the marketers we work for? Today, I'd like to take a look at targeting from a copywriter's point of view, not how to do targeting, not how to direct or improve the work of a media buyer, but instead how to make the most out of what the media buyers and the traffic managers send you, okay? Because sometimes that might be a bit of a mystery. Just like I'm sure you'll make the most out of this, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if, you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity. You may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So let's look at targeting now, maybe in a different way than we have before. I mean, you know, very often a copywriter is sort of made responsible for targeting the market or is um, expected to know who the target is. But let's look at it in a different way. Like someone else is doing the targeting and you've got to write copy for that traffic, those prospects. See, at its most basic core, copywriting is about writing precisely to your qualified prospect's state of mind writing precisely to your qualified prospect's state of mind. The problem is you can't always know exactly what that state of mind is. And targeting is the way, the best way, unless you know each prospect personally, to find out precisely as possible what your qualified prospect's state of mind is. Now there's, I'm going to say, two types of targeting. There's traditional targeting, and there's tuning fork targeting, you know, tuning fork. Um, And let's 
find out what they are and how useful or not useful each one is for different kinds of offers and how you can do the best possible with whatever you end up with in your hands. So traditional targeting, this comes from before the internet. This comes from the days of mailing lists. This comes from where you would get names, addresses, cities, states, and postal codes. I'm saying postal codes instead of zip codes for our readers in other countries where they don't have zip codes like we do in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the traditional traditional targeting used for these kind of lists are basically demographics and geographics. And these are measurable things. Demographics are who are the people and what are their measurable characteristics and geographics is where they live. So what do you measure with demographics? You measure age, number of kids, zip code or postal code, region of the country, net worth, number of guitars in the household, things like that. And for a lot of mass market consumer items, demographics, who the prospects are in a measurable sense, and geographics, where you can find them on the map, will work fine for direct mail, or at least used to. And I'll tell you why I said used to in a second. I have a friend who was a direct mail list broker in the San Francisco Bay Area. My friend's still around, but he's doing other things now. But during the height of direct mail, he used to get orders by postal carrier routes from BART. That's block by city block by city block, suburb block by suburb block, um, called postal carrier routes um, from BART. And BART is the mass transit system around here because everyone on the block was a prospect. They might be a customer of BART. Um, so that's, that's sort of a mass market thing. Like everyone could be a prospect. Let's say you live in Cincinnati, or you used to live in Cincinnati, which is a very good town for marketing, because that's where Procter & Gamble is based. So let's say you have a lawn mowing business. So you start in your neighborhood with your lawnmower, then you hire other people with lawnmowers in other neighborhoods, and maybe now you have eight or ten city blocks or suburban, probably suburban blocks of maybe a hundred. You can rent... a mailing list to cover those. Everyone who's a homeowner has a lawn, doesn't want to mow their lawn. You got a lot of customers. But the world as a market of consumers is a lot more segmented and micro-segmented than it used to be. If you're old enough, you can remember when there were three channels on TV. Three, ABC, NBC, and CBS. Um, what are they today? 500? Maybe 1,000? I don't even know. Or let's look at Coke, the soft drink, not the other one, the soft drink, Coca-Cola. There used to be one Coke, and it came in a glass bottle. It was green. These days, there's Coke, Diet Coke, Cherry Coke, Vanilla Coke, Vanilla Cherry Coke, Coke Cinnamon. And if you want the original Coke, then you get Mexican Coke, because Mexican Coke is made with cane sugar, and American Coke is sweetened with corn syrup. Okay, boy, differentiation, micro-segmentation. So these old, simple categories have become niched, niched, and each niche, niche. Oh, it's called niche. Let's be continental. Each niche appeals to a slightly different buyer. Same thing for a lot of other things, too. Now, there's a third traditional category, but it's really, 
it, it's like a portal or a, a passageway. The third one is psychographics. And this is a passageway to tuning for targeting because psychographics is not externally objectively measurable things. It's identifying what prospects feel and what they do. And eh, this, is, this is tricky. It's guesswork. What, one thing I want to say is this was more of an exploration of how I think and what I advise people to do and what I've seen some really smart people do. This is not ex an exact science. I think of it more in terms of odds. The, the closer you can get to what a prospect is probably thinking and feeling, the better your odds are of getting a sale. But uh, there's, there's only one thing that I think is as close to 100% certain as possible, and that's at the very end. But let's go through these other psychographic tuning fork categories. So the first one, and this is a traditional one, is affinity. And before the internet, affinity meant membership, like belonging to the Sierra Club or the NRA, or um, if you're in California, you'll appreciate this, the 1199 Foundation, which keeps you from getting parking tickets when you're driving 100 miles an hour down the five. Um, so membership interests, that's a little more vague. Um, although these days with social media, that's a lot more determinable. And subscription. And subscription used to be like a subscription to a magazine. These would, um, um, the, you know, these would talk about what a person's interested in. These would give you some ideas. Here's, here's the... Uh, Here's the link that people make that's a, um, a pretty weak link. Just because you know what someone's interested in doesn't tell you what they buy. I mean, I'm really interested in comedy, but I don't go to a lot of comedy clubs or buy a lot of comedy albums. Now, maybe it's because I can get so much of it with what I'm already buying or get it for free, but there are things I'm interested in that I do buy. So anyway... Affinity gives you a hint, but it's the weakest of, of the three tuning for targeting areas. And if you're basing all of your target copy on affinity, you're taking a big guess. It certainly gives you a little peek, affinity does, into the conversation already going on in your prospect's mind. But for example, could you assume, say, the political affiliation of someone because they're in the military? Uh, no. You can't. You might think you can, but I'm going to tell you that um, some people in the military are hard right conservatives. Some of them are moderates. Some of them are liberals. I know all three kinds of people who are in the military or are veterans. So you can't necessarily get a clear view of the conversations going on in the prospect's mind um, based on affinity alone. One of the things that where this has really come into play is digital marketing because Facebook and Google pay-per-click and YouTube advertising, they're very hip on what people's interests are, what people are subscribed to, groups that people are members of, and they make, they make this aspect of what you're calling tuning fork targeting, they make it a lot more accessible 
still has some of its own issues, but uh, it, I feel like it's a little bit. It gives us it gives us tools that we didn't have before. So um, that's that's kind of where I see this playing. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. In fact, it does for all three of the tuning fork targeting things. Um, and you're right, we we didn't. Um, so let's get to the second one. The second one's really interesting. It's values. The values of the prospect. Values are a little harder to determine than affinity. Sometimes if you're part of a group and you're vocal about it, then it's not as hard. Values refers to things like religion and politics and other cultural and life choices. But I would say selling to a person's values most of the time is of limited use unless you are selling religion or politics or a lifestyle product or service. Now, here's, here's why values are almost seductively appealing, but maybe a little misleading. Values drive belief, and belief drives behavior. But don't fall in love with that statement, because the same values in a different person can lead to radically different beliefs. And the same beliefs in different people can lead to radically different behaviors. It's all too easy to make up what someone's religion means about them, for example. But get to know enough people, say, in the same religion, and you'll find out there's a lot more variation than you assumed from afar. Now, in some markets with some products, religion and politics can drive very predictable behavior. I know in the last three, four years, copywriters who've done really well with sales letters about financial information products by bringing up common enemies, like writing to a conservative audience and talking about liberal politicians uh, and making an us versus them kind of conflict and say, here's how to get even with them by being one of us. So sometimes you can drive sales by making assumptions about values, but unless you have a really focused prospect group and you've already had some experience with them, it's better to test these assumptions before you go all in and not depend too much on on values alone for structuring your offer. There's a decent-sized risk that you'll be wrong and that can be expensive. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll wanna know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leave you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. So and I don't want this to be positioned as pushback, but I do want to get your take on this. 
Yeah. Um, I recently reread Dan Kennedy's uh, Marketing to the Affluent and No BS Marketing to the Affluent. And one of the things that he was talking about is boomers and uh, the ones that are business owners have a lot of extra money to spend on one particular thing. Say they really like guitars and hmm. so willing to spend an, an abnormal amount of money on guitars or he gives uh he gives examples of like jay-z spending money on um clothing and watches and and uh cars or arnold schwarzenegger spending a crazy amount of money on a humvee um one of the things that he says though in that book is that at least for hit for the market that he's writing for in that book, one of their values, and it's not political and it's not religious, but he says a lot of them are very um, pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They had to build it and they don't take pity on people who don't try as hard as they do. And so it's not a, it's not a religious or a political, but it's very much a lifestyle value. And he says, in his opinion, that um, that's a very key part of of uh, the way that he targets people when he's selling to that group. So I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the opposite of what you're saying, but I I just want to I want to explore that idea with you. Well, I think it fits in, even though it may sound like it's the opposite. One thing I want to point out is it's a very tightly focused group. He has a lot of experience with because a lot of the people who come to his platinum mastermind, his diamond mastermind, and, you know, hire him for consulting at $3,000 an hour, um, are those people. And it, you know, if you think about it, the number of baby boomers who have businesses um, and have a lot of money, um, it's a pretty tightly focused group. Um, so, I don't know, what is it? 80% of the people in the country are, you know, one paycheck away from bankruptcy. Um, and, you know, how many baby boomers are, you know, struggling or modestly retired. Um, I'm not saying that there's only a few people like that. There are probably several million, but in this country, there's 360 million people. It's a very small percentage. So the, the more you can narrow down, see, He's, he's talking about a lot of things there, the size of the group, um, their, their background, their history, um, their demographics, um, and other aspects of their psychographics to get to their values. So I, I think he's right, but I'm not sure if it contradicts anything. Okay. I just wanted to explore that because on the surface, it does sound like it contradicts, but then when you throw into the fact that He's narrowed it down to a very, very specific individual. And he can say this value is very strong amongst everybody that's been eliminated by all these other factors. And these remaining people all tend to have this value. Right. And he also has a lot of experience with that group. That's, that's the other thing. Uh, one, once you sort of know these people as people, then you'll have a, a better sense of what are common values and what are divergent values. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So let's go to tuning fork number three, behavior. So behavior is the holy grail, but it's often really hard to get this information 
from most targeting methods. However, there are two dependable sources of information about behavior. One of them is previous buyers. And that would include buyers lists and endorsed mailings. Uh, so uh, this, is, this is more in terms of direct mail and email. If you have a list of somebody who bought something, we'll get to that in a minute. Or if you have someone, a list of people who bought so, something from someone else who has a relationship with them and that person sends out an endorsed mailing, really powerful. Understand that in both cases, you are basing your appeal on behavior. You may not say in your copy, I know you actually bought this before, but you know that this person, all th other things being equal, is more likely to buy the same thing again than another person buying it for the first time. So that's the first thing, previous buyers. And the second thing is retargeting. Um, if someone keeps clicking on an ad after they know what you're selling, that clicking, that repetitive clicking behavior is valuable targeting information. Okay, so there's a saying among experienced direct marketers. Sounds really, this sounds like Sesame Street or Romper Room or people of my generation. Um, but it's very profound. Triers are triers and buyers are buyers. Now, Tony Robbins likes to say, the past does not equal the future, but he hires copywriters who know that the most certain prediction of future behavior is past behavior and gets a lot of people to spend a lot of money that way. If you've done it before, you'll do it again. Let's say you bought one copywriting book. You might buy 50. Let's say you've bought one guitar. You may end up buying 20. That's my story because that's what I did. But it's your story too. Maybe not with guitars or probably with copywriting books if you're listening to this podcast. It's everybody's story. If you can get an encouraging nudge in the form of a message to someone who has filled out a shopping cart form but didn't pull the trigger, you'll have a really good chance of selling them this time because the next, this time they very well might click on the buy link. Um, like I said, behavior information is the hardest of all to get graphic information, but it's not as possible. But in terms of narrowing the odds, increasing your percentages, it's the best information you can get. It's the most reliable and the most powerful. So overall, I would say the best targeting information of any type is the one that is best able to predict how likely it is that the prospect's going to buy something. Mm -hmm. So two notes on that. Uh, back in the day when it was still buying lists for direct mail, that was one of the key factors that you usually had to pay more for was, are these people buyers? Are they someone who's bought from my competition? Are they someone who's bought similar products in the past? That's right. And then now, through algorithmic patterns and uh, all the data that Facebook and Google and Apple are keeping on us, that's one of the things, too, that is the benefit of using those you tell Facebook, this ad is for engagement, then it knows, okay, only show this ad to people that typically engage. You say, this ad is to get somebody to actually buy. They say, okay, well, show these 
adds to people that typically buy. So behavior is so important. Yeah. And um, those mailing lists, uh, um, they were called response lists. And um, (laughs) for a mailing list broker, they were incredibly complicated because you have to get approval of your piece from the person who owns the list. In other words, if they don't like your copy, then they won't rent you the names. And, um, you know, there is a, a medium point these days. You can have an endorsed mailing. If, um, if I sent out an email to my list about your book, um, or if you sent out an email to your list about my book, the chances of people buying it would be much higher just because you recommended it. Uh, assuming there's a, we're talking about buyers lists here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and that brings up a, a totally different side tangent. I would say if you're somebody who's marketing or writing copy for your own business or for clients, it makes sense to segment your email list based off of these people have bought versus these people have not bought. Uh, even if it's just a tripwire offer, because again, behavior is important. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the original idea I had here is what do you do with the targeting? But as you can see, um, part of what you do with the targeting is <laughs> get your fingers in it, <laughs> get your fingernails dirty, get involved in it. Because, you know, the, the most important thing in copywriting is not copy, it's your prospect. And how do you get the best prospects? Well, it's with targeting. But I, I hope this was useful to everybody. Um, it's it's I think it's a topic that gets talked about a lot, uh, either in a sort of, you know, sanitized anaerobic uh, laboratory kind of environment uh, where we're just talking about statistics or, you know, in, in an environment where the bullshit is plentiful and the useful information is scarce. Um, I guess that would be a media planners i don't know what a traffic advisor i don't know exactly what it is so i was trying to put a little meat on the bones and make it delicious well i appreciate it i definitely learned a couple of things throughout this episode and i'm sure that the listeners did as well any final thoughts before we're out of here uh yeah as far as traffic is concerned always stop the lights red not and don't text while you're driving either (laughs) sound advice david i appreciate that until next time We will catch you later. And if you want to get more of your copywriters podcast fix, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. Yeah, go there and see you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.